Gary and this is episode 77 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at vehicle efficiency. What is it? How is it measured? And how can we improve it? Before we start I wanted to remind you that the last episode of this season will be a roundtable podcast with various members of the EV community. Final participation is still to be confirmed, but I've invited Duncan Jones from episode 42, Man-Made Moon, back on, Dan Caesar from the Fully Charged Show, back on, and Jordan Brompton from My Energy will be a first-time guest on the show. If there are specific topics you'd like to hear discussed in this roundtable, drop me a line at evmusings at gmail.com. Our main topic of discussion today is vehicle efficiency. If you've ever watched Beyond Nylon's videos, you'll see he's always referring to figures like 230 watt-hours per kilometre. This is despite the fact that the display will say something like 2.3 kilowatt-hours per 100 kilometres. But if we listen to Twitter, and if you're in the UK especially, you'll hear people talking about figures like 3.6 miles per kilowatt-hour. So what gives? Why do we have different measures such as this? And what exactly does it mean? Well, here's a little bit of a physics lesson to start with. Every EV has a battery, duh, and that battery has a set capacity, double duh. My Kia Soul has a 33 kilowatt hour capacity of which 30 kilowatt hours is usable. The Tesla Model S P100D has a 100 kilowatt hour battery. But, in much the same way as your old internal combustion engine used to get different miles per gallon values than someone else's with a similar size engine in a different car, a battery of a set size will not always produce the same efficiency figure. In terms of nomenclature, when we talk about efficiency, we're talking about a value that denotes how much or how little of the power of the battery is used to move the vehicle a set distance, or conversely, how far a vehicle can move if it uses a set amount of energy from the battery. If you're looking at miles per kilowatt hour, you want that figure to be as high as possible. And if you're looking at watt hours per mile or watt hours per kilometer, you want that number to be as small as possible. Either way, the more efficient a car is, the longer you can travel on the charge you have in your battery, whatever that charge may be. If we try to equate this to something in the fossil fuel world, it's miles per gallon, or litres per 100 kilometre if you're that way inclined. Obviously, this is going to change depending on a number of variables. Some of these are within your capability to control, and others aren't. So what are the key factors that decrease efficiency? Well, in many cases, it's exactly the same thing that decreases ICE car miles per gallon values. Firstly, vehicle size, or specifically design. If you have a car that's not very aerodynamic, such as an SUV type, then it's not going to be as efficient as, say, a sports car. There's a reason the Model 3 is more efficient than the Model X. One of them is a bit of a brick on four wheels, aerodynamics-wise. The other's quite sleek and well-designed. Secondly vehicle weight. An EV is already fairly heavy having a full battery to lug around. But if you were to fill the boot or trunk with luggage, or say two cords of wood and a snowmobile, there's going to be a hit on the efficiency. This is because the motors that drive the wheels are going to be using more power to physically move the vehicle forward. This will result in a lower efficiency number, i.e. fewer miles per kilowatt hour or more watt hours per mile. This is another one of those things that also happens with an internal combustion engine car. Thirdly, speed. Admit it, you've all been a bit of a boy or girl racer at one point in your life, keeping the right foot down a little longer than you should, 
may be accelerating aggressively to the speed limit, of course, when gentle acceleration would work just as well. How about the traffic light Grand Prix? Well, all these things will increase your battery usage or your fuel usage, as this is something which also affects ice cars. Having a heavy right foot will increase your consumption and decrease your efficiency. I was recently at a set of traffic lights when a Vauxhall Corsa pulled up next to me. As the lights went green, I tapped the right toe to leave him behind, as usually happens with an electric vehicle. But to my surprise, I was having trouble losing him. I kept the foot down, totally destroying the efficiency. And it was only when I got to the next set of lights, I realised he was also driving an EV, in this case, the Corsa E. Oh well. Fourthly, terrain. Podcast listener and EV driver Roy Sheriff has a 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. He took it to see his daughter in South Wales a year or two back and they went driving around the Brecon Beacons. He told me that as he was climbing up the road to the high point of the Beacons, he could watch the range dropping down quicker than the distance they were driving. At one point, he was worried they wouldn't have enough range left to get back home, although in reality, he would have regenerated a lot of that on the way back down. Terrain, i.e. hills, are a surefire way of sapping the efficiency. Any route that needs to climb a great height will be less efficient than one on the level, or better yet, dropping down a hill. That's why route planners such as those on PlugShare and a better route planner will show the elevation change for the journeys you're taking, to help you understand if the efficiency and therefore range is going to take a hit. Back in the good old days when we could travel to see relatives, I would go from my home down south to my parents' house on the Yorkshire-Lancashire border. With PlugShare, it was very obvious that the last 18 miles were going to sap the efficiency of the car as they were mostly climbing the Pennines to get to the house. In fact, it's about 800 feet of elevation change over 18 miles. The fifth cause for poor efficiency is weather. Snow and rain cause rolling resistance issues. I used to work with a guy who recorded the consumption figures for every tank of fuel he put into his internal combustion engine car. Then he graphed the averages over the years. There was a very distinct wave-like pattern over the 12 months of a year. As the weather got worse, his consumption increased. As the weather got better, his consumption decreased. I have a regular commute, it's about 11.5 miles each way. My Kia Soul keeps a track of the efficiency rating of the last 30 or so journeys. I can look back and see that when the weather was warmer, I was getting more or less 4.1 miles per kilowatt hour on my commute. Now the weather's colder and wetter, that's dropped down to 3 miles per kilowatt hour. Now, just to put that in perspective, it means I've lost one mile of range for every kilowatt hour that I have in the battery due to the weather. For a 30 kilowatt hour battery, that means I can now only drive around 95 miles rather than 125 miles on a charge. Luckily, when the weather warms up, my efficiency improves and I get more miles of range on a single charge. So now we know the things that make your efficiency decrease. What things improve your efficiency? Well, firstly, good aerodynamic design. This explains why cars with the same battery size don't all drive the same distance. Look at the Kia Soul 64 kilowatt hour battery for example. That will do 225 miles with an efficiency of 280 watt hours per mile. Then compare it with the Hyundai Kona 64 kilowatt hour. 245 mile range, 260 watt hours per mile efficiency. Or the e-Nero 64 kilowatt hours. 230 miles range, 275 watt-hours per mile efficiency. All with identical battery sizes, but slightly different ranges and efficiency values. It's all to do with the design of the vehicle. Look at the Hyundai Ioniq, for example. It's all sleek and streamlined, low to the floor, tapered at the back. 
ideal for cutting through the air with minimal resistance. I don't know if you remember the bad snows we had a couple of years back in the UK. One Ionic driver showed us the build-up of snow on the back of his car. The gusting wind had followed the contours of the car and drifted the snow into a nice smooth pile on his back window. Quite deep it was too. And it's exactly what happens with air as it's passing over the vehicle. It sweeps across the aerodynamic parts and deposits itself behind the vehicle where it can cause minimal problems to deficiency. Then compare the Ionic with the e-tron, which is tall and bulky with a large frontal area. The airflow over this design is far less smooth and laminar than over the Ionic's body. And this gives the Ionic an efficiency rating which is 245 watt-hours per mile. If these figures don't mean anything to you, the simple trick is to divide the watt-hours per mile into 100 and multiply the answer by 100 to get the miles per kilowatt hour. So 245 watt-hours per mile divided into 100 is 0 0.408. Multiply by 100 and you get 4.08 miles per kilowatt hour. Compare that to the e-tron which has an efficiency value of 380 watt-hours per mile or 2.6 miles per kilowatt hour. That's some difference. If the e-tron had the same efficiency as the Ionic, it could travel 128 more miles on a full charge. That's over 50% higher range. Secondly, correct tire pressures. The key driver to efficiency, once you remove the aerodynamic blocks that are slowing you down, is rolling resistance. That's the technical term for anything which pushes against the tires and acts as a stopping or slowing force. If you're trying to go through snow or mud, that counts as rolling resistance. But one of the main ones, and the one that's rarely considered as an issue, is the tyre pressure of your car's tyres. If your tyres are at a less than optimal pressure as determined by your vehicle's user manual, then this will increase the rolling resistance of the tyres. The difference might be marginal, but over time and distance, it will add up. Usually, your tyre pressures are listed on a panel on the passenger side door upright. Check them and make sure your tyres are always at the right pressure. This is good from a safety point of view, but as the temperatures drop, the laws of physics mean your tyre pressures will decrease automatically. Keep an eye out. Thirdly, hypermiling. This is something that a lot of people would groan audibly at and roll their eyes. But if you're in a 24kWh Nissan Leaf with a limited range, you're going to want your car to be as efficient as it can to eke out those last few miles of range. Hypermiling is the practice of using fuel-saving techniques such as lower speeds and frequent coasting to maximise a vehicle's fuel mileage. This means being really careful with the pedals when driving. Accelerate slowly, coast when possible, and use regen braking to slow you down as much as you can. It means driving at, say, 50 miles per hour on the motorway rather than 70 miles per hour. The faster you go, the more power it takes to push through the air, and this is one reason cars have a maximum speed. Not because the car has reached an absolute maximum, but because there's so much air resistance at that speed that the car cannot overcome it anymore to go faster. There is an inverse square relationship between speed and efficiency. Slowing down increases efficiency by the square of the velocity. To put this in perspective from a time point of view, if I were on the motorway doing a 70 mile journey and driving at 70 miles an hour, I'll take an hour and waste a lot of efficiency. At 60 miles an hour, I'll get a lot better efficiency and the journey will only take nine and a half minutes longer. Another thing to consider when hypermiling or indeed driving generally, is the use of regen. Regenerative braking is the ability of an EV to use the turning of the motor to create energy and feed it back into the battery. While this is a perfectly normal and natural part of running an EV, the fact that you're transferring energy from the wheels to the motor implies, by the laws of nature, that you're losing that energy in the wheels. 
This energy is what's keeping your car from slowing down. If you want to go further on a given charge, reduce or turn off the regen. It's particularly useful when traveling on a motorway. When you leave the motorway or fast A road, you can click it back on and use it around town to charge your battery a little. I believe I'm correct in thinking that the range you lose from having regen on will be more than the range you gain from the actual additional charge in the battery purely due to losses in the transmission process. If I'm mistaken on that, I'm sure one of my listeners will let me know. One particular hypermiling technique ironically comes from motor racing. It's the technique of slipstreaming. In Formula 1 racing, if you get close enough to the vehicle in front of you, that vehicle's punching a hole in the air ahead. You can sit in that hole and stay at a set speed without using as much power as the vehicle ahead. And then when you want to overtake, you can accelerate out of the hole and make the manoeuvre. In EVs, you can use other, larger vehicles to punch through the air in front of you. Generally, this is on motorways or dual carriageways. Trucks and coaches, but not National Express coaches obviously, as they are all going at warp speed in the middle lane, are an ideal way to increase your efficiency. Find one that's doing a constant speed, nestle up fairly close behind it, and let the laws of physics go into action. The downside to this is that you're limited to the speed of the vehicle you're following. If that vehicle's doing 56 miles an hour, so are you. It has to be said, though, that the best distance for slipstreaming is to be right in the wake of the vehicle itself. This can be a distance within about 6 to 7 metres, or 18 to 21 feet. At motorway speeds, that's a dangerous distance to be travelling while behind another vehicle. Dropping back to a safer distance will give you more braking time, but it will also reduce the effect of the slipstream. But your efficiency figures will be amazing. Next, going downhill. I know it sounds stupid, but if you can find a route that's all downhill, your efficiency will benefit. The problem is, it's not easy to find a route that's all downhill. Well, actually, it's easy to find such a route. The Brecon Beacon, Snowdonia, the Lake District, the Peak District and the Highlands have lots of them. The problem is that in order to take advantage of them, you need to get up there in the first place. But if you have two routes to get to a specific place, or an option of two places to get to, say you're deciding on a socially distanced outside meal at a pub and you can pick one of two or three to go to, the one of them that has the longer stretches of downhill to get there might be a better option. Of course, you may lose it all coming back, but that's just the way things work with EVs. Fifthly, correct usage of heating. We've already said that cold weather saps an EV range, and this is particularly true if your car has a PTC or resistance heater like one of those old portable heaters which literally sends electricity through a wire coil that heats it up until it glows. If your car's fitted with a heat pump, this is far more efficient at getting heat out there. But one comment made by Twitter user EV underscore advice said, heated seats and steering wheels are much more efficient at warming you than up in the cabin heater, warming you indirectly via heated air. And he's right, if your car has heated seats and a heated steering wheel, switch those on. Use the circulated air from those to help heat the cabin. It's more efficient than using the air conditioning unit. So, to summarise, efficiency. It's a matter of how far you can make your car go. There are things you can do to reduce the efficiency of your battery. There are things you can do to increase the efficiency of your battery. And some of these are specific to EVs and they don't apply to internal combustion engine cars. And most of what reduces your efficiency is the same in an EV as it is in an ICE car. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. We know that the UK and a few other European countries have put in place a ban on the sale of new fossil fuel vehicles. But did you know that worldwide there are 31 countries, states and cities with diesel or petrol bans in place? 
More specifically, at the start of 2021, there are 31 national and local governments that, that have announced bans on the sale of some form of transportation powered by internal combustion engines. Some are earlier than the UK. Norway and South Korea are looking at 2025. But with us on 2030 are countries such as Slovenia, Iceland, Israel, India and Germany, with China, Singapore, France and Portugal coming 10 years later. Ironically, in the US, Washington, the city, is banning the government fleet from fossil fuel, but elsewhere in the country, you have to wait until 2035 for California, 2040 for New Jersey and the District of Columbia, and 2050 for Colorado to put bans in place. That's something that could possibly be overridden by the federal government. We'll see what Joe Biden puts in place now he's been sworn in. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's currently available for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent on Amazon Worldwide and is a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. He plays favourites with his e-skateboards, you know. He's got two in particular he uses. One of them is a bit of a brick on four wheels, aerodynamics wise. The other's quite sleek and well designed. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.